You're listening to an IOE podcast. Powered by UCL Minds. Welcome to the UCF staff room. I'm Elaine Long. And I am Mark Quinn. We are programme leaders for the UCL Early Career Teacher Development Programme. Why are we in the staff room? We are here because this is where the best professional learning conversations always take place. This is where problems can be aired bluntly and where solutions can be explored. Over the course of this series, we will hear the voices of different colleagues as they come into the ECF staff room. We will hear from early career teachers themselves and from the mentors and induction tutors who support them. We will talk about all things ECF, the challenges and the joys. So why don't you enjoy a coffee with us, perhaps even grab a biscuit and sit down to half an hour of ECF staff room chat. Uh, so. Uh, welcome to uh, the ECF staff room. Uh, you're really welcome this morning. It's lovely to see you all joining us. Uh, do put your feet up because I know you've got a busy day ahead of you, so you might as well get some rest in early. Um, could we talk about just um, introducing ourselves? You know, who, who are we uh, in the in the in the ECF staff room? Hi, I'm Liv, um, and I am in my second year of ECT. Um, hi, I'm Celeste. I'm also in my second year of ECP. I'm Tyra. I'm also in my second year of ECP. Yeah, and we, we're also joined by a very important person. <laughs> hi, I'm Erin, and I am a mentor and also induction tutor. Excellent, excellent. Oh, well, it, you're you're very welcome. We've got a busy staff room uh, this morning, and I know you're uh, you've got lessons you've got to run off to immediately after this. But you can't do that without having a, a coffee or a hot drink. So, do you, do, how, how, what would you like me to serve you this morning, uh, Liv? How do you take your coffee or your tea? Milky two sugars, please. Well, I'm not too sure we can stretch the two sugars. We'll see if we can find <laughs> see if we can find some in the back of the cupboard. <laughs> how about you, Celeste? Um, I have a really, really big scoop of coffee, and depending on how tired I am, two, one, or zero sugars. I think today. Two sugars, please. Oh, okay. We're gonna we're gonna certainly uh, expend our entire sugar budget, I think. <laughs> How about you, Tyra? Um, I quite I'm quite different actually. I have this Asian tea in the morning, um, Asian tea, um, and that just gets me going. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm certain we can cater for that. I'm certain we can manage that one. Erin, uh, do you have a posh coffee in the morning? No, I'm just a bog standard cup of tea. Brilliant. Brilliant. Milky, that's uh, it. I, I, I meant to ask you as you all sat down, what have you been up to already today? How's your day been so far? Monic, as always. Um, yeah, lots of emails. Um, the same, actually. Mm-hmm. Nothing different. <laughs> just the same old every Wednesday morning. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wednesday, so I enjoy that. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we've, we've caught you before your first lesson of the morning, I think, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, okay, fantastic, fantastic. Well, you're very welcome. We're, we're desperate to get into some proper ECF chat. Over to you, Elaine. 
Thank you. It's amazing, isn't it, that it's only 9.07 in the morning and already I'm sure you guys have done so much of your day and probably had to do more tasks than most people do in a, in a normal working day before 9.07. So I think you, you definitely deserve your extra sugars um, in, in your tea and coffee. I'm just interested a bit more in, in why you decided to become a teacher. And indeed, if you could tell us what you teach, that would be great as well. And briefly, what took you to this this point where you're doing a million tasks in the morning and, and having five sugars in your coffee and tea? How did you get to this point? <laughs> um, so I, very stereotypically um, and cliche, I've always wanted to be a teacher ever since I was younger, um, to the point where I would ask my teachers in primary school whether I could have their extra lesson plans and their extra things that I could teach to my non-existent children in my room. Um, so yeah, I always wanted to be, there was a time in my life where I wanted to be um, a solicitor, but I think that was basically um, money-based more than actually wanting a career in it. Um, and then I realised actually no, um, I want to be a teacher, so I, I did some tutoring and intervention work at two schools in Greater Manchester, and that sort of set me going really and, and gave me the sort of confidence that I definitely knew this is what I wanted to do. So I was very lucky that I did a PGCE and I got placed here at um, this school, and um, I was very, very lucky that I got a job here. So I'm, I'm here still. And Celeste, could you tell us a bit, a bit about, about your journey? Yeah, okay, so um, I actually wanted to be a journalist and I was doing English language at university and realised that I wasn't really enjoying it and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do um, and I literally just saw a poster advertising for English tutors. Um, when I went to the interview, it was someone who had gone to my high school and now started his own business for um, tutoring students who maybe couldn't afford really expensive tuition. Um, and I just realised I enjoyed that a lot more. So I'm really, really thankful that I saw that poster that day um, because otherwise I wouldn't be here now. I didn't really know what else I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to do journalism. Um, and like Liv, I also trained here and I'm still here now. So here we are. <laughs> um, I used to tutor at a tuition centre when I was 16 um, and I really enjoyed it. But there was one particular time where um, this one student came to tuition that day and she was saying how her teacher was so proud of her making an improvement um, and she thanked me for it. And that feeling was like, you know, amazing that I was behind like something that she had achieved. Um, and it's rewarding. Um, it's something you enjoy, even if it's behaviour management and <laughs> there's a lot to it, but you do enjoy interacting with mm -hmm. the student kids. Yeah, um, like getting to know them um, and that's why I kind of went into this field and I also did my training here and then um, got a job here at, as a RS and a local teacher so teach two, two different subjects. Oh, yeah I teach English drama and religious studies. Um, yeah so do I English drama and religious studies. Oh it's great that we've got um so many English teachers in the room so I'm an English teacher um, as well and it's lovely to hear about your roots into teaching um, 
and your stories and um live also i i share your um your story about wanting to be a teacher from an, an early age and lining my cuddly toys up and, and taking oh. the register i don't know what that says about me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're not you're not the only one and, and also the, the way you both described um that lovely feeling of being able to have an impact on someone else's life and how that that makes the, the job really really worthwhile so i'm going to pass over to mark now who's going to dig a bit deeper and talk to you about your practitioner inquiries yeah so obviously you're in the second year of the uh, ecf program with us so you're in a really privileged position toward the very end of that second year of course we as we are now to be able to look back and to think about how you uh, did those inquiries so i'm really really interested in uh, uh what your inquiries were uh, what sort of questions did you ask? What did you discover? All that kind of stuff. So, so Liv, maybe you could go first. Yeah, um, I first started off looking at um, oracy and sort of how teachers use standard English in an English lesson and whether that has an influence on the way that students um, speak in class. Because I was um, quite aware that a lot of the, I looked at year sevens at first, um, used quite a lot of slang. And then I thought to myself, well, Obviously, they've got it from their friends and whatever, but maybe I'm having an influence upon uh, whether they are speaking in a formal sort of standard way. So I started looking at that. Um, and then I sort of changed direction completely, really, um, because I think I had such a big class in year seven, it was quite hard to keep track of. So um, myself and Erin had a conversation and we decided that I would look at plenaries and the effectiveness of plenaries. Um, in one of my smaller classes, which was my uh, year nine class that I had, um, which was really interesting. And I thought at first there'd be not much on it. And I thought, oh, this might be a little bit you know, tedious. But actually, it was really, really interesting to see that um, the research behind plenaries already um, and also whether they do actually have an effect upon the students. So I looked at different plenaries and the strategies that we can use to implement them and sort of did different experiments really to see whether it worked with the different um particular students i was focusing on um so yeah it, it was it was really good and i i really liked it and it sort of left me with this thought in my mind thinking oh now i am teaching i think to myself is this lesson worth having plenary or is it is it not um which i definitely didn't think of when i first started started this year just just before uh, we move on to Celeste on that, can I ask a, a, one quick extra question of that, Liv? Because that's really interesting that you that you picked up um, actually something that's a debate around um, plenaries, which you're clearly aware of. Just how did you collect how did you collect data on that? Um, so I did some research at first. Um, I mean, it started really from the PGCE as well. You know, we're taught that sort of three three basic structure of a lesson. You know, you start you name your plenary. Um, and then I did some research and I, I've dabbled in doing plenaries, you know, and sort of trying to do them as much as possible. But sometimes, you know, realistically, you just don't have the time at the end of a lesson. Um, so I thought, right, now I'm going, to, I'm going to allocate some time to do it. So I, I looked at what I thought would be the most beneficial for my um, class. Um, and this was an English class. So I did a vocab filler, which was based on a lot of vocab that we've looked at throughout the lesson. Um, and Erin was actually in that lesson particularly, and it went horribly wrong. Um, and all of the vocab that I thought they, they understood, um, they in fact didn't. So that was interesting for me to reflect on and think, actually, 
why did they not understand it or why did they think that they couldn't access what I wanted them to do um, and then I also did exit cards um, which were a nice little quick way of me knowing that they understood the learning but again I reflected and I thought I don't have the time then to chase up that particular student if they've got something wrong or if they're not 100% sure um, it's uh, you know the whole the whole sort of idea of it is to get them out of the room. So um, I, I tried that. And then I, I, I tried verbal plenaries and just asking questions and directed questioning on certain students. And I, I think that really worked. Uh, so to me, it sounds like a little bit of a cop-out really because it's nothing that's written, it's nothing that's formal. But I think I came to the conclusion that a lot of the children needed that casual interaction rather than something being so formal and written down. I think that's why the first vocab lesson failed so much because I think they were very much under pressure. Um, and those kids in particular, it's you know, important to note that a lot of them have um, confidence issues. So I think me, me pinpointing them was too much pressure for them. So a casual conversation, I've, it's really helped and I've seen a lot of benefits from particular students with that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that, that's really interesting and particularly interesting that you uh, collected the data through your teaching, that it was a natural part of the way you were teaching through through plenaries. Um, Elaine, of course, being an English specialist, might want to uh, comment at this stage. Well, JC, Mark's saying I'm dying to dive in here because I've had similar experiences in my class. But I, I was just going to say there's so many interesting things about what you said there, Liv. The first was that you know, you're prepared to experiment and you had something go horribly wrong and you could talk yeah. to Erin about it. And I'm sure you had a good laugh about it and she yeah. gave you some help. And it was from reflecting on that that you got to something practical. And it's really interesting you said that you tried exit cards and I've tried those sorts of things as well. And I've done that. And then I just don't manage to keep it up because it's yeah. too hard. And it's really, um, it's really interesting what you said, the solution that you came up at the end was actually something really simple yeah, and really practical. Yeah, but really practical that you know you can embed in your in your everyday habits. So I think that really speaks to the value of the practitioner inquiry approach that through that sort of experimenting with things, things going wrong, which they do in classrooms all the time, yeah. being able to reflect on it, that you've actually come up with just something really practical that's having an impact on your students that, that you can do every day because as, as busy teachers we can't be making a, a million resources at the end of every lesson you probably you know hardly get much time to yourself as it is so I, I just think that that's really interesting that what you came up at at the end was something quite simple but but very effective sorry Mark that's the English teacher in me I'm diving in <laughs> quite understandable I'm just wondering how Celeste is going to follow that did you find similarly when you did your inquiry Celeste um, so with my inquiry question, I was focusing on a, a mixed ability class where the uh, sort of range was quite massive, to be honest. I had students who said they really hated reading and they really hated English. I had students who absolutely loved it and um, obviously spent lots and lots of time reading at home. So my first inquiry question, I was considering how I could raise the self-esteem of the lower ability students because I quickly realised they didn't hate English, they just felt like they couldn't access it, and then that turned into saying they couldn't be bothered to do it. Um, so the first inquiry question was all about self-esteem, focusing on skill-based activities that everybody could do to sort of make them feel a little bit more confident. 
the second inquiry question was looking at how I could stop teacher talk so much because I found that with a mixed ability class um, I was wasting a lot of time by over explaining activities rather than um, having really really differentiated activities so my second inquiry question was all about how could I um, refrain from teacher talk too much give them their independence back and just make sure that everybody in the classroom felt that they were constantly um, on task because what was happening was I was explaining too much and then the higher ability students were sort of drifting off maybe, taking a minute to think about something else. And that's obviously not something you want as a teacher. Um, so yeah, mixed ability classes and differentiation was really what I was focusing on. And uh, it is interesting because obviously uh, some English departments um, operate through mixed prior attainment, some through a more uh, streamlined or setting approach. Um, so, so after you're working in a in a school which which does uh, group students by mixed prior attainment, and that's so it's interesting you picked questions which will help you as a teacher reach those pupils who are at different starting points. Um, just, just did you find anything uh, particularly from those two inquiries that you mentioned that worked really well for you? Um, what I found worked really well was the skill based activities with the first question that really did help. So students who felt like they didn't have as much prior knowledge. If we started off with everybody doing a who can find the words the quickest task, something that everybody can access, they really were more keen and more enthusiastic at the start of the lessons. Um, in terms of less teacher talk, I found that with that particular class, I think maybe because their egos are all quite big, having peer-on-peer -peer teaching didn't work. Whereas the research said that that was great if you get them to teach each other, it helps with conflict resolution and they'll all be best friends at the end. Whereas I found if you get them to work in smaller groups together instead, rather than teaching each other, that worked a lot better. Um, so yeah, something good and bad that I found. Um, Tyabad, I can't remember what you told us you taught, um, uh, but did you have a, a, a quite a different type of question when you when you went through your inquiries? Um, yeah, so I'm teach Porto and RS, uh, but my inquiry question was more towards my Urdu uh, subject. Um, so it was, to what extent does um, the or prior knowledge of Urdu have an impact on engagement? Um, so I was looking at um, a lot of, um, what's it called again? Because um, the majority of my students were from a Pakistani background. So they had prior knowledge of the Urdu language, they knew the alphabets uh, because they read the Quran, so the similar alphabets to Arabic. Um, but what I found was that some of the engagement in the students that chose that have no background knowledge of the Urdu language were somewhat disengaged. Um, and at first I thought maybe Subconsciously, so I was, um, in my mind, I had that, oh, everyone here knows the language because majority of them um, were from that background. Um, and so once, once I realized that maybe I was making the mistake of, you know, um, just having it in my head that, yeah, they all know it, um, I realized that I should maybe look at, towards that. So uh, me and my mentor decided to look at this one specific class where there is mixed 
quite a big gap in between, between a student that knows how to read, write, speak, and understand it all. And then in the same class, I have a student who completely new to alphabet, doesn't know the sounds, and so sometimes preparing um, uh, the work or the resources can be difficult. Um, so what I decided to do was um, I decided to, I wasn't asking questions. Um, I would give them a waiting period of time. Specifically those individuals, those five students that uh, have no prior knowledge of the Uyghur language. Um, and I targeted those individuals with set questions and I would wait. And at first it was horrible because <laughs> some of them will start, the rest of them will start putting in, you know, seeing the, seeing the answers, but then you'd have to give you know, sanctions according to that. But it took us a while, but we got there in the end. So now when I'm asking a question, regardless of who it is, they all just sit there patiently waiting and then they applaud each other like when they get right, especially, yeah. especially when um, it's someone from a non, you know, a Pakistani background. So um, I did a student voice at first. Uh, I, did a, I did a student voice and I found that a lot of the students said that, you know, they feel pressured to answer the question out loud because the confidence, they don't have the confidence for, for it. Um, and, but they do enjoy learning the language um, and it's interesting because some of the friends speak it so that's I've chosen it um, and then once I carried out you know, the asking questions and uh, the waiting period um, I did another student voice at the end and one of my students uh, said that he actually found it really beneficial just allowing the time for him to answer um, and he's really keen on it. He's, he's not from a Pakistani, but he's white British and he absolutely loves it. And he's mentioned that the reason why he chose uh, the language because he's, all, all he heard was swear words in the you know, other language. So now he's like, um, it's good to know that there's more than that. Um, so um, it's, it's quite interesting, actually. Um, and I think... I've enjoyed looking at it and I've enjoyed seeing the progress that they've made. There's one particular student, he was disengaged at the start. He wasn't completing a lot of the tasks. But when you look back at his book now, you can identify the letters and sounds. And it's crazy because I think sometimes you think, oh, it's, you know, just deliver and the students will get it. But actually, when you change something, mm -hmm. so maybe so small into in your like practice, then it has a massive impact on students it's like you see the effect as well so it was interesting to see him engage now so all all you ever ask is miss can we look at letters or can we look at this um because he knows how to do it but now it's just about pushing him on you know to further develop those skills Taiba, i think it's i think it's really interesting that you uh ended that with a story about the impact on a particular student and when you spoke to us at the very beginning, when you came into the staff room, you did the same thing. You talked about the response you get, you got when you were working for the tuition center and the, the responses you might get from an individual. And clearly that's inspiring for you, isn't it? You know, see, yeah. seeing that immediate response you can get from uh, from the young people you're working with. And it isn't, isn't it interesting that we all know as teachers that it's really important to know the students. 
You can't teach them until you know them. And and you and your inquiry decided that the best way to get to know your students is by actually offering them the voice, you know, doing you know using using the principles of student voice in order to collect some data about what your students' perceptions were of what to do in the beginning. And you've learned so much just from listening to them uh, about how better to teach them, how better to reach them, and um, so that sounds like a it's a, 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 a pretty wonderful project that you uh, that you engaged in there. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also interesting, Celeste, that you said as well that you've looked at the research on peer-on-peer -peer support, but that didn't work for your students. And I think that, that that's a similar lesson there as well. That we can look at the research, but it might not always work for your students in your context, in your classroom with you. And, and there's some really um, impressive professional learning there that, that you've described as well, particularly Tyba, what you were saying about it's a simple routine that you've added to your classroom and it's sustainable. You had to work hard to get it. It sounds like you really had to work hard to get it. So I'm not, you know, trivialising the effort that you had to put in. But now you've got it. It sounds like it's really transformed your classroom culture. I, I was just going to follow up and ask, is there, is there anything else you've, you've learned professionally about your, your inquiries? I know you've learned a lot about the students you teach and the impact it's had on them, but is there anything else you'd like to add about what you've learned as a professional? Allow it to go horribly wrong, I think. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, you two. Oh, yeah. Because I think, because you're so pressured sometimes because there is 30 students looking at you and they look at you in you know as this sort of I don't know sometimes this beacon of all knowledge and you know know every single thing and how dare you get things wrong and sometimes that pressure is you know immense but then when you learn to let go and learn to understand that you know you are going to get things wrong in your first two three years of mm -hmm. teaching and nothing's going to be perfect that was a big lesson for me and I, I remember that lesson that went horribly wrong I was so worried to, you know, go back to Erin, even though Erin's lovely and she'd just, you know, probably laugh about it and whatever. I think I was so worried because I thought in myself, I failed, you know, that I've got this wrong and they didn't understand what I was going on about. And I think Erin definitely reassured me and was like, we all get things wrong, you know, like it's, that's part of learning for you as a professional, but also for the students to understand that, hey, she's, you know, not a miracle worker. She does also get things wrong as well so yeah that was that was the biggest um sort of impact for me on my professional development definitely and that's a really powerful lesson isn't it because i i actually don't think you can learn and get better unless you get things yeah. wrong because unless you take those risks and experiment you're never going to get to the point so sometimes things get a bit worse before they get better but I, I I agree with you it's very difficult in teaching because there's so much pressure on us and we know we we hold the lives of those young people in in our hands so it can sometimes feel very pressurized but I agree with you I think it's really important to acknowledge that you can't learn unless you get get things wrong and actually by getting it wrong you actually arrived at, at something much better so it's really important to embrace that I'm conscious of time I think we've got uh about nine minutes of the recording um left so i'm going to pass to mark for the next question uh yeah it's just uh i wanted to re repeat the idea that you're we're now back we're now at the end of two years for you of, of the program and i'm just really curious as to how different you feel now as a teacher to how you felt at the beginning so again uh liv you might want to kick off on that one 
Yeah, I feel um, very different. I feel a lot more self-assured, I think. Um, I remember at the start, at the end of year one, I was still very anxious and still very much like, oh, um, am I doing this right? Am I teaching this right? And then now I've got to the end of it. I've definitely got more of a grasp on what I'm doing and I understand the thought process behind lessons um, and things like that. So I definitely feel a lot more, yeah, self, self-assured is probably the best way to describe it. Um, I, yeah, self-assured, definitely. Um, I think I like what you were saying about it feels like it's just the starter and me and then a clean room. Yeah. I think I've realised actually we've got some layers. It's about their relationships with each other, how they view each other, yeah, um, the rapport I'm building with them. Do they feel, have they had a you know bad morning? Is that something that's contributing towards it? Whereas before, I think, like you, I was just focusing on myself and saying, was, did I do good or bad in that lesson? And I wasn't thinking about any external factors or how I could help. I was just focusing on the bad, whereas yeah. now I feel like we can problem solve a bit better. You didn't think of the other variables. Yeah. You just thought of the... Me. Yeah. You yeah. yeah. as a bad teacher. Yeah. Something had gone wrong. Yeah. Um, I think you both kind of summed it up, really. Um, uh, but I do feel like I, over the like first and second year, like it goes quite a bit in terms of just professionally and learning more about, you know, again, different routines and behaviour management and just a lot of things. And you, I don't think you ever stop learning. I feel like every day mm-hmm. you find something and you like, oh, I could have done that different or maybe I should try this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you develop, you just keep developing, and I think you should always be open to learning and yeah. um, guidance as well from your mentors. And yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, that's I think really helped, mm-hmm. um, especially because we were the year where it was COVID, <laughs> like the COVID year. So yeah. <laughs> it's been a very interesting year this year because yeah. we we actually have our own classrooms and we are teaching. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not going yeah. yeah. Forward, so. so it's it's been quite interesting, um, and I've enjoyed it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. Ah. Yeah. And Erin, you must be sitting here listening to all this really proudly <laughs> as as the induction tutor. Can I ask you to come in at this point and just talk to us a bit about how you supported your ECTs through their inquiry? Well, yeah, it's it's lovely to see the girls have this conversation and just see them being so confident because, you know, although they say they've changed a lot throughout these two years, they have always been really strong and really confident in their faculties. They are really, really strong teachers that are really respected. But to see how they've how far they've come throughout that journey, you know, obviously they did say that in year one, it was the COVID year where they were in different areas of the school and it was so difficult to be able to get out and make sure that everyone was okay, but they were so resilient and, you know, so keen to get involved. And I think because they were around different places in school, they made a lot of uh, connections with other staff members that they might not necessarily have done because uh, usually you're stuck in your faculty group. And so that was actually a positive of, of what might have happened. Uh, but yeah, working with their mentors who have all been great, um, really supportive of them and just getting them to find out what they'd actually been doing because they do so much and they are so great. But sometimes you have to sort of like pick around to find out actually what is going on and what are they doing. And the kids tell you and other members of staff tell you, or you hear things in briefing. And it's not just in the classroom, it's all around, it's trips out, it's, you know, getting involved in things that necessarily they're not asked to do. 
and seeing those little kids' faces when they're leaving their classrooms and they're so happy and they're so supported. But also then at the end of year two, getting them to see them do their presentations and SLT wanted to be part of that. We had a, a celebration uh, at the end of the year and they got up there and they were they were phenomenal. They they just, you know, had so much detail in the way that they were expressing themselves and the staff knew who these pupils were that they were talking about. And it was a real sense of, you know, how, how far that they have come and, and how great it is and an opportunity for us to thank them for everything that they do. So, so it's been it's been lovely. It's been wonderful. Oh, and yeah, no, it sounds like you definitely are um, really proud of them. And it's lovely to hear how their learning has influenced, in fact, your, your whole school culture. And also what I'm hearing is that the sense of agency and, and the positive attitude um, that, that the girls had towards their professional learning um, as well. Can I um, just ask another question, which, which is about at the start of their journey as an induction tutor, what support did you feel they, they needed then? Um, it was very difficult at the beginning because we weren't too sure what that was going to look like. So, you know, working with other schools and asking them what they were doing and just make, making sort of those links. We had weekly meetings on a Wednesday where they would have, you know, specialist staff come in and give information and, you know, thinking about sort of like working with their mentors and thinking about what it is they need to do. Those weekly meetings are really sort of some a time to think about sort of like stepping in and, and supporting. Um, and then as that mentor role has changed now, it's maybe thinking about facilitating more of a role of, you know, supporting rather than guiding. That was nice to see the independence of that year. You know, sometimes you take it for granted that someone actually has an idea or that they're not too sure how to express that idea or that your way of achieving that idea is going to be right. So sometimes that was nice to see um, them being able to go in a direction that maybe you might not have directed them in. That's really interesting. And so you think that weekly meeting is, is important at the start, just so yeah, people have I an mean, opportunity to, to it, speak with you if they need to? Yeah, it can be hard to fit in everything, can't it? Because a school is a day, you know, a week, a lot happens in that <laughs> week. So, it, you know, sort of like maybe sort of like having someone that's more of a buddy and then that mentor role has helped facilitate that. We weren't too sure of that at the beginning. Uh, so we were trying to do, I think, a, a lot of stuff at the, at the very beginning. We were trying to cram a lot in. Um, but as time's gone on, we've realised what works for our school. And it's obviously worked for the ladies and Haroon, who's also been in ECT with this. Um, and yeah, they've just been brilliant. That's great. Well, speaking of uh, doing a week in a day, very sadly, I think we have two minutes left. And I'm conscious that you have to go and teach. So kind of before you go, we're going to give you a post-it note. And you can write whatever you want on your post-it note. And you can stick your post-it note anywhere for people to see so can I just ask you as as you're about to leave the staff room and the bell's going to go um what would you put on your post-it note and, and where would you stick it and who would you give it to can I ask you to start Liv oh that's a tricky one um I think that on my post-it note I would probably have be positive I think I know that there is an end goal um, and even when you've had that awful day, that awful lesson when you think nothing will ever, um, you know, go well again, but you just have that sort of reassurance that, you know, and go to people as well. No one's, no one's going to judge you if you go and, and say, 
that was the worst lesson ever or you know this was the best thing that happened we're all there to, in this school particularly I think everyone's there to support one another so yeah definitely that be positive and know there's people around you that, that want to help you thank you Liv Celeste um the best thing I in terms of advice like what Liv said the best thing I've ever read and I can't remember who wrote it um, when I was doing NPT was to treat the students as if they are banks and you can keep um, putting money in by asking them how their day is how they are and then the more money that's in the bank eventually when you have to reprimand them you can take it out and there should still be money in there so yeah treat children like banks it sounds silly but <laughs> it works <laughs> I think it's a, it's a really good really good metaphor that, that speaks to emotional currency which yeah. which is important definitely it's a great piece of advice and uh, Tyba um the only thing that's coming up in my head is, in my head is um it's all worth it yeah. um so just keep going um, and you'll enjoy it yeah. That is a fabulous place um, to end. So all that, that remains, because I know you've got to go and teach, is for us to say thank you so much for joining us in, in the staff room today. And we're really sure that other ECTs starting on their journey are really going to benefit from, from listening to you today. And, we, you and that, that, that we can't keep you any longer because that bell is now ringing. And all of those keen boys are out there uh, waiting for you to teach them the English or the RE or the drama or the Urdu or whatever else you've got coming up in your first lesson this morning. But but thank you. Please uh, please leave your mugs in the sink on the way out. We'll tidy up. Don't worry about that. And uh, if you can nab a biscuit, that's fine as well. You can take that with you. But anyway, th thanks for joining us this morning. Our thanks go to our colleagues for sharing coffee with us this week in the ECF staff room. They were Taya Bachadri. Celeste Leonard, Liv Moran and Erin Brown from Burnage Academy in Manchester. Please do get in touch with us if you'd like to chat more about your ECF experience. We especially want to hear from a range of different voices. In the meantime, do join us for a biscuit and a chat with another colleague in the ECF staff room. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast. 